Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, church. Welcome to Harvest KL. Whether this is your first time or your account, you can't count how many times time, uh, we're glad you're here. It's always, you know, we, I walk in in the morning and there's just a kind of a trickle of people and it seems so quiet. And then I just love it. Like when we have like the greeting time or after the service and you just hear conversations in every direction. I, I love to hear that. My name is Michael. I'm serving as one of the elders of this church. Uh, that we have been as a church going through the book of First John. So, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you'll turn with me to First John, we will be um, in the. It would First John is towards the back of the Bible. If you get to Revelation, just back up a few pages, and you'll find First John. Second and third John are in between, but they're really short, so they're one-pagers. We are in 1 John chapter 3, and today we'll be looking at verses 11 to 24. Our actions show what we truly believe. So let me give you a couple of examples. Imagine a Christian businessman who says we need to run our businesses with integrity and should give no bribes. You might say the business run the right way will be blessed by God, maybe. But then his business suddenly is under pressure. They can't get done what they need done unless they bribe a government official or get a government contract. And so they give a little envelope of money. What is the real belief of this businessman? Does he truly have faith that his business can be run with integrity? Or, or maybe this one um, may, may touch a little closer to home. I don't know. Um, Sorry, getting a little organized here. Um, during the pandemic, you know, after the the thing started to open up again, churches began to open. I can't tell you how many pastors I've heard say, uh, "Where many of the the people that have been coming to their church suddenly are not coming back," and they will say oh, it's because I don't feel safe or I'm concerned about my health. But then the same pastor goes to social media and sees a picture of said church member eating in a very packed restaurant with no masks whatsoever. And well, again, the actions betray maybe what the true beliefs are. 
So let's read our passage this morning. Um, I, I think it, it wrestles with our heart, our belief, and then how we respond, how we act as a result. So I'm going to read the whole passage and then we'll walk through it. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. However, does not love, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, we'll walk through this in three parts. Our hate begets death. Our heart begets accusation. His love begets life. Our heart begets death. Up until now, we've, uh, John has been calling people to core beliefs. If our beliefs are off, our actions will be off. Here, John gives an example from Genesis chapter 4. Abel and Cain are the sons of Adam and Eve, history's first family. Abel was a shepherd, raising sheep. Cain was a farmer. Both of them gave from their yield as a sacrifice to God. And we are told in Genesis that Abel gave his firstborn of the flock as a sacrifice. In other words, his gift to God took um, it took a step of faith to give those very firstborn as a sacrifice was a, a bit of a calculated risk for, or is a risk for, for someone who is a shepherd. But nevertheless, he did it out of devotion to God. We're told that God valued Abel's sacrifice and did not value Cain's sacrifice. And honestly, we don't have that much detail on why one sacrifice was more pleasing 
we do know that Abel's was the firstborn, and it doesn't say that Cain did the same with his harvest. But we know that God sees our hearts and sees our motivations. So in all of this, God voiced his displeasure over Cain's sacrifice, and Cain became really angry that his brother's sacrifice was considered better. God confronts Cain. God said that if Cain did what was right, his sacrifice would have been acceptable. Again, God sees the heart, sees the motivations. But then he says this, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. One act of disobedience from Cain now has him being consumed by anger, which then threatens to drive Cain to more sin. Then the next thing we, we know in this passage in Genesis is Cain asks Abel to go out to a field with him, and then he kills him. The moral of the story is if your brother invites you to a field, don't go. Just kidding. Cain's jealousy led to anger. His anger led to hate. His hate led to murder. God tried to warn Cain, but his heart took him astray. John uses this as both a warning as well as a lesson. So John says that Cain was of the evil one, likely referencing this sin that's crouching at the door. When sin gets a hold in our lives, it does not want to let go. It consumes the person, and it naturally hates that which is good. A few a number of years ago, I was driving in another country nearby this one. And we were driving through a very large intersection, a busy intersection in a city. And the traffic lights were set to go from green to yellow to red very quickly. And so we entered the intersection. The light was green. But before we could get all the way through it, the light had already become red. And surprisingly, there's a policeman waiting on the other side of this intersection. And so he pulls us over and then tells us that we ran the red light and that there was a way that we could settle this right, right here and now. You know what I mean? We had a friend with us who had been living in that country for a, a number of years longer than we had. We were pretty new at that point. And he gets upset, and so he tells the policeman, don't be looking for money, sir. You could see this policeman, the temperature was rising just before our very eyes. And he just started yelling back. He stomped off. His partner, police officer, came up to the window and said, Okay, just, just go. I think because we were American, he didn't quite know what to do with us. Now, I don't tell you that story to say that that was necessarily the right response. If we were locals, that probably would have gotten wound up in a, a deeper level of, of issue, of, of trouble. I don't know. 
But what it does betray is, is our friend had moved a spotlight onto sin. And, and sin, when it's threatened, it begins to, it's like a cornered animal, right? And it begins to fight back. Verse 13 has um, a little bit of a, it's, I just want to take a pause on a, maybe a little sidetrack. It says, uh, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I think we have to be careful with this statement. I want to be really clear on this. Because there, there are times when we draw the ire of the world and it's not because we are such loving Christians. I, I wish it were, but sometimes it's because we're jerks or, or hypocrites or jerky hypocrites. And that's that, I mean, that, that does not, that's not what John is talking about here. That is not what he's referring to. I'm not saying that you deserve the world's hate if you're a jerk. I'm just saying that sometimes we call that persecution and that's not persecution. So John, um, he, in the gospel of John in verse, in chapter 15, verses 18 and 21, he says this, and I think it sheds a little bit more light on this statement. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, wor the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. In other words, to live rightly as those in Christ, as Christians, it, it, will, it will stir up hate in others. There's a kind of hate that's stirred up because it is exposed by that which is good. When Jesus came, he exposed many who claimed to be speaking for God but we're really actually just focused on themselves. In our small group this past week, we read a passage from Luke 18 that told of a Pharisee who was a religious leader of that time who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. A little ways back, the was a tax collector who did not even want to look to heaven, beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus exposed the supposedly religious leaders by uncovering their selfish and unloving motives. The world will hate sin exposed. Christians are sometimes mocked for being happy. So it's a strange thing to mock someone for. But Jesus is clear. If we stick close to him, 
we will be persecuted. That's probably not what you wanted to hear this morning, but nevertheless, it is what Jesus said. The choice John gives us here is to love or to hate. Last week, Troy uh, talked about John, John using extreme language throughout 1 John, uh, light and dark, life and death, love and hate. He's painting with only two colors, black and white. We can choose love or choose hate. To not love someone is in some form a form of hate. Whether it's apathy or ignoring someone, it is still, in John's language, a kind of hate. Little things become big things. Hate spreads like a disease or a bad smell. And you might even say our hearts are inclined to hate. So our second part, our heart begets accusation. In this middle, in the, towards the end of this, this passage that we're looking at today, verses 19 through 22, there's some unusual wording and language that may come across as a bit confusing. And it may even seem a little bit unrelated to what we're talking about, but stay with me on this. So what does it mean for our heart to condemn us? What seems to be clear in this passage is that our heart can mislead us. And so we get some help from an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, verses 7 through 10. Let me read this. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for, because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you, have, that you undertake. So when we think about our hearts, I, I don't know about you, so often it gets equated with romance, you know, just think about Valentine's Day, and there's little pink hearts everywhere, just everywhere. But the Bible recognizes that our hearts are not always our best guide. We are told not to harden our hearts to those in need in this passage in Deuteronomy. And it seems to be what what John is referring to in this passage in, in 1 John 3. We even have to be warned not to begrudge the poor. It's so strange. Humans are just so bizarre. 
it is possible to be giving to the poor and still begrudge them. Our hearts can encourage our selfishness, feed our pride, stoke our jealousy, or excuse our lack of love. If someone has the resources and sees someone in need, but he closes his heart, it is a sign that God's love is not there. So uh, just think of these scenarios um, relating to our heart. When we are betrayed by a workmate, our heart wants to take revenge. When we get offended or hurt by someone that we call a friend, the heart leads us to walk away from that relationship. When we have invested in someone and they reject our advice or teaching, our heart might lead us to frustration that leads to anger. When life does not seem to be going the way we wish, our heart moves us to bitterness. When God warned Cain that, that sin was crouching at the door, it is our heart that opens the door for sin to control us. Sometimes you hear people say, you need to do what is in your heart or stay true to your heart. Um, I mean, this is often considered good advice, right? It's, I mean, Instagram worthy, right? Stay true to your heart. It's Hollywood worthy. And when we believe that more than what we believe in the Bible, we're, I mean, we're basically elevating the words of a screenwriter or someone looking for a bunch of clicks on Instagram over the word of God. Stay true to your heart is not good advice. It will lead to wrongful wishes that results in actions that are wrong. We've been led to believe that our hearts are somehow expert guides into all that is good and right, but it simply isn't so. It's what led Cain to kill his brother and then had many repercussions as a result. It's what led others to neglecting helping the poor. And I would guess that your heart has led you to make poor decisions in the past or maybe even the present. What's more is that too often we've allowed the heart to determine our lives. When we started off in 1 John, we talked about the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is according to the heart. It can be here one second and gone the next. Poof. Joy is something altogether different. It is a contentedness about life, knowing that God is working something greater than we can understand, even during the hard times. His love begets life. 
if your relationship with others depends on your heart feeling good, you will have many broken relationships. If your relationship with God depends on your heart feeling good, you have misunderstood the nature of love. Love is not based on an emotion of elation, which is kind of hard to say. It is a set course of faithful commitment to the good of others, no matter how they treat you. Your emotions will wear off. But there is another kind of love that never turns back or wears off or dilutes or betrays. First John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we would love one another. Our dilemma is that we've been called to love one another without any regard to how we feel or even how we have been wronged but we are so accustomed to letting our heart guide us and lead us and move us that, that it's, it's really hard to do this. We can't obey the simple command to love one another because our heart blocks us from doing so. In verse 20, it says that God is greater than our heart. Amazing. In other words, when we struggle... Turning inward is not where we need to go for help. We can't control our heart, but God is greater than our heart. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night that he was betrayed, he knew what was about to happen, what was coming up. He was going to be betrayed by someone in his inner circle he was going to be mocked and tortured by the very people he came to save. He knew that he would endure a death that carried the sins of the world. In other words, this was not any ordinary death. You can see his anguish in the garden as he prayed, My father, if it, is, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In other words, there's a conflict between his, his heart wants not to suffer this, right? And yet he has fully submitted to God's will. He knew that his heart was not to guide him, but that he was to submit to the Father's will. We, meaning all humans, we did not deserve this sacrifice of Jesus. In Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John understood that for, for the Christian, we do not have to depend on our heart, but that we could depend on the work of Christ whose love stayed the course even unto death. Verse 16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Friends, we have a choice. There's a way that leads to death, 
and there's a way that leads to life. The way of death is the natural one. It's our default. The way that leads to life is by far the more difficult way. To love as Jesus loved may even seem impossible. But the beauty is this. The way that leads to life is only possible because Jesus took the way of death for us. He died so that we live. John urges us in verse 23 to believe in the name of Jesus. It is in Jesus that we find true love and are given the ability to love others. So will you believe in Jesus? In conclusion, a few things for us to take with us this morning. First of all, keep our hearts in check. When our hearts steer us away from love for others, it is a sign that sin is crouching at the door. This week, I'm giving you homework. This week, think about the ways that your heart immediately responds to things that happen and how volatile it can be. And, and keep that in check. Secondly, love one another. No matter what someone has done to you, love them. Love means giving up something for others. You cannot love without giving up something. To love others well will require much from us. And so the third point is the most crucial one. We can only love others if we experience the love of Jesus. The final verse of this section points us towards the way. Whoever keeps his commands, his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We are just simply not able to keep his commandments on our own, but must abide in God. When we turn to Christ, the spirit of God takes residence in us. And then we can love others sacrificially because God is at work in us and through us. And why would we refuse that? Uh, one point that I, I didn't add here that I want to add is that to pray. As we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, to say, not my will, but yours be done. It is a, it could be a daily rhythm to keep our hearts in check, to submit ourselves to, to the one who truly knows and does good. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you this morning that we can sing songs of your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, we praise you this morning that we can indeed come and gather together and bring worship 
and knowing that what we bring is is inferior but because you have given us life in Christ that you are creating in us something new and so father we as we struggle in a world that is in bondage to the heart and to the evil one and to sin crouching at the door. Father, I, I pray that you would give us just a clear vision of your love, that you would give us the strength and the, the will and the boldness to love no matter the consequences to love no matter no matter whether uh, it is returned back to us father i pray that that this would be a community of people where your love is visible where we do not pass by another with need and ignore it Father, we ask that you would show us as a community how we can love each other well and love our community around us well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.